Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 106. I'm really excited to have planning guru. Um, I know uh, people don't usually like to be called gurus and fair enough, but she really is one in this case, Nicole Avery. So many people um, really want to jump on board the real food train, really want to prioritise relaxing, connecting with their kids, having dinner as a family. Yet so many of us feel completely disorganised beyond a shadow of a doubt of even thinking about how we might make that work. And Nicole's track record is not only having a beautiful online business and community in the space called Planning with Kids, but she has five kids. So she's had a heck of a lot of practice getting this right and really testing what works, what doesn't work. And I was in admiration with her um, discussion around being a real team with her partner and with her kids as the wider team and getting everybody involved in the running of the house. It was it actually blew my mind in a couple of spots, some of the things she said, and I'm really uh, looking forward to getting back from all my travels, um, which do does make it a little bit tricky to feel organised, I have to say. Um, but uh, having a very organised summer, my poor husband and son won't know what hit them, but we're going to be very organised, that much I can tell you. Um, so I hope you enjoy that chat with Nicole. She's a wealth of information and really, really inspiring, and I'll hook into that chat in a little sec. I just wanted to remind you, of course, though, that we have Walida as our show sponsor this month. Uh, These guys are just amazing, as you know, uh, from longtime listeners who would have heard me talk about them as a brand before. Founded by Rudolf Steiner in the early 20th century, who was also the founder of the education by the same name and biodynamic farming, if he didn't quite manage to achieve enough in one lifetime with just the first two, right? So um, it's it's a wonderful brand and, uh, and um, there are a few kind of products that really suit this time of year for the Aussies, given that it's an Australian offer. I might just mention the Birch Range. Birch Juice is a fantastic spring clean product to pop a little bit in your water in the mornings, Um, but they also have the scrub and they have the body oil um, and people just rave about that range and rightly so. And if you've got a body brush at home to kind of work the body oil and body scrub into your daily or every other day routine is just such a lovely way to gift your skin um, a nice big prezi and also to gift it some uh, better skin tone and uh, elasticity because the science actually proves just how effective birch is for helping us do that. Uh, so that's the birch range in focus. Um, remember you have 20% off and you have free shipping on $29.95 or more orders. So it's a really, really amazing and generous deal and all the details are in the show notes. Show notes, um, I've had a couple of people say, where are the show notes? You basically just pop onto the lowtoxlife.com website, you click the podcast tab, you click the tile of the show that I'm talking about now or in this case last week's as well because we're a little bit into um, September and um, and there it'll be. The offer's always right up the top of the page and then on that page also are any resources that I shared through the interview. So um, enjoy that. Thank you to everybody who has started writing online reviews for Lotox Life, my book. I've seen the Booktopia ones come through. I would love for anyone who has a couple of minutes spare to jump onto amazon.com.au or .co.uk or .com or all and um, leave a review there. Uh, It really just helps uh, books grow in terms of their audience. I love that we're all here together, but I have a big mission to get this kind of stuff out to as many people as possible. And if there are no reviews against a book and you're kind of tossing up, then uh, between another one that does have a ton of reviews and it's a similar kind of vein, then you're going to pick the one with the reviews. So um, it is just such a generous thing for you to do. I completely acknowledge that given how busy everybody is. But if you've loved the book, I'm kind of hoping to call this favour in and get you to leave a review somewhere online in um, one of the bookstores that you've managed to pick it up at. Um, So thank you for that. Um, What else do I have to say before the chat with Nicole? Oh, two amazing things just in case you don't get the newsletter. Um, We have had some beautiful news. We we started the Preconception Ninja e-course just on a year ago now, a little bit more. And a wonderful woman joined and as everyone was sharing their stories when um, the course first opened up, 
Um, she shared a harrowing tale of just having been through 10 rounds of chemo and um, really not knowing whether she was going to be able to have a bub or not. And uh, a few months later, I got a private message from her saying, you're not going to believe this, but <laughs> I've been doing all the things in the course and I'm pregnant and, um, and it's looking good. And then 12 weeks went past and I was very mindful to not, um, you know, uh, discuss anything too much. I'm always there if, if, for our students if, um, if anyone wants to volunteer any personal information, of course. But anyway, cut to 39 weeks a couple of weeks ago and she's like, guys, you know, I cannot believe it, but my baby's going to be here next week. And, uh, and I owe it all to the Preconception Ninja course and Alex Stewart. And uh, I was in my kitchen at the time reading that and I shoved the phone in my husband's face and started tearing up and just, you know, having an online business means I'm not right there with people um, and I aggregate all the amazing practitioners and bring them into a select group and a learning platform and and that's how I feel I can help the most amount of people possible while I'm kicking around on earth. Um, but it does mean you don't always see reactions or success stories or hear um, because, some, you know, sometimes people are just so excited in their own life with their own family and friends, they forget to tell you. But uh, this um, amazing student, Alex, shared um, this beautiful picture of her um, with her gorgeous pregnant belly. And then the next week we got the picture of, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the baby's name, Z Zanea, I think it is. And she is so gorgeous and she's super healthy and, um, and I'm just overjoyed for this amazing student story. And then literally the next day, um, I was sitting with the team on our team Tuesdays and we got an amazing, um, uh, tale from Katie, B, who's done our Inflammation Ninja course, which literally went live like six, seven weeks ago. And you could, these are all on-demand courses. You can do them whenever you want. They're $85 Australian. So if you're in the US, that's about 67 um, pounds. It's about uh, 50, 58 um, euro. It's about 62 or something like that. Uh, and um, and so, uh, yeah, so this, you can jump in and do them anytime you want. And we've got Preconception Ninja, we've got Inflammation Ninja. I don't know. I like the word Ninja. I think it's like, yeah, let's do this. Um, Lotox Kids, Real Food Rockstars, and we're just about to make Thrive, um, the course that I did with Brenda, helping kids who love real food, um, make that one um, on demand as well to help parents just jump in and, and get going on their goals in that arena. Anyway, back to Katie's story. So she literally signed up for Inflammation Ninja six weeks ago when it opened up. She started on the meal plan straight away. And four weeks in, not only did she lose four kilos, and it's absolutely not a, a weight loss course, um, but, you know, if your issue is inflammation and you remove some of that inflammation, it stands to reason that you would start to lose some weight, which is great. I'm still waiting um, on my moldy journey, um, but I'm definitely starting to feel all sorts of wonderful benefits as I recover slowly, slowly. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so she, she told the tale of how she lost the four kilos and she got on a horse for the first time in 17 years with no pain. And that like, you know, and horse riding was her childhood love. And as she became more and more inflamed, more and more joint issues, she just could not bring it down to the point of enjoying horse riding again. And now she does. Um, so, you know, like 85 bucks is less than a practitioner visit and, um, and if anything, it'll just help you have more targeted, focused sessions with your practitioners when you do catch up with them one-on-one -on -one because there is never a replacement for one-on-one -on -one care. This is really just to empower people to have the conversations they need to have to find um, solutions faster, more cheaply because, um, heck, if this course had existed Eight years ago, I could have saved myself 50 grand on, um, in terms of everything I've spent on my health, trying to figure out why I'm always inflamed and brain foggy um, and depleted uh, and was there living in a water-damaged building for eight years, which just got worse and worse in terms of my health. So, you know, it's if, if you feel like there's just stuff that you're not quite happy about or you're going to be planning for a baby soon and you just want to make sure you've got some really good vocab to support all the things that you want to be doing before um, before baby making day, whether that's naturally or through IVF, um, then you know these courses are there for you guys. So go check them out.
Okay, I have done so done enough talking. I'm so sorry. Sometimes I just think of all these things to say and I say them. But enjoy today's chat with Nicole. It is rich, full of tips, pointers, ideas, strategies, and gold uh, to help you feel more organized in general as a family, uh, as well as on the food front, um, preparing whole food meals for your family from scratch largely and um, and how to get your whole family involved. That was probably my favourite part. Enjoy. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm really well, Alex. Thanks. How are you? I am super well, thank you. And I am stoked to be bringing your amazing brain to our show. We've known each other for years. And I think, you know, as with many people who have five kids, I'm sure happens, one of the first things that I admired about you was, whoa, how, do, how does that whole five kids thing work? How do you even do that? <laughs> um, but then, of course, came to know you through your amazing work um, over the years with Darren and at ProBlogger and we were at conferences together trying to learn how this whole helping people through the internet thing was going to pan out. And, um, and then, of course, uh, you know, I've sent lots of people over to your amazing resources when it comes to getting organized, as, especially as in the context of being a big family, because I feel that that's not an expertise I can share with people because I don't have a big family. Um, but something I've, I've um, noticed a lot of people in our community starting to want to work on a bit more is feeling better planned in general when it comes to the kitchen and meal planning, but they don't want to feel boxed in or like things can't change. You know what I mean? It's one of those fine lines between wanting it but not wanting it at the same time. So, uh, and I think with five kids that you would have all sorts of unexpected things pop up, yet you are so passionate about meal planning and what it can offer families. So that's what we're talking about today, but I would love for the people who haven't heard of your work before for you to just share a little bit before we kick off on to that topic specifically um, about how you came to decide you were going to share um, share planning advice in all aspects of planning family life uh, as an online business. Sure. Well, I sort of fell into it, um, I think, as a lot of people do online. Um, I had been out of the paid workforce for about eight years. We had four children at that stage. Mm-hmm. And there was an ongoing conversation in the family about whether we'd have a number five. But sort of regardless of how that would go, I sort of felt that I would want to go back into some form of paid employment. But a big – eight years is a long time. Um, yeah. You know, I had a business degree and had been out of the corporate world for a long time. So I'd been reading a lot of blogs and I just thought, you know, I was in the, the whole back days, it shows my age, you know, the web 2.0 and mm-hmm. just that sort of stuff. So I thought, well, I'll just start one and started on Blogger like people do. Um, and then it's really interesting how life pans out because when I actually did my degree that really wasn't the course that I was passionate about doing I grew up in the country and you know not from a well-off family so I needed to move from you know 550 kilometers away to Melbourne to go to uni and so I took a really pragmatic choice over doing a arts and literature and writing course and chose a business course mm-hmm. so once I started blogging started writing I went, I forgot how much I love to write I don't think I'd written anything probably in those eight years of having children but I loved writing and when I decided I was going to blog, it was always really easy for me what I was going to share because you know how there's people when you go to a party and there's something they're good at that you'll ask them questions about? Yeah, yeah. So people would always ask me like, so, um, you know, it, like if I was hosting a kid's party, it's like, wow, this is so organized. How do you do it? And I go, well, I've got a spreadsheet for that. And I go, oh, could you share that with me? And then I'd make something and take it to someone's place. It's got, oh, I've got a recipe um, sorry, you know, can you share that recipe for me? So what I was going to share about what I was going to do on that blog was really easy. It was the pe- things that people asked me about just in my own little circle because you don't actually ever imagine people other than that make you forced to read your blog are going to read your blog oh, at the I start. Oh, I totally um, feel that. I still remember a complete stranger, Nick Spencer it was, um, writing the very first comment from a non-family and friends circle on my blog and going, what? Who is this person? <laughs> I can still remember completely freaked out that some random person on the internet was reading what I was writing yeah, and thinking, yeah. wow. <laughs> um, so, you know, in terms of that, it was never meant to be um, a thing per se. It was really just about some skills. My husband was working fairly decent hours and he's also doing an MBA. And so I was really 
really stuck at home. Um, so I needed to like, you know, to get out for learning classes and stuff was going to be difficult. So it was more of a process of trying to upskill myself. And I just sort of fell in love with the writing and the connection. Yeah. And just that sharing and just when other people did start to read it, to know that because really what I was sharing wasn't necessarily anything spectacular like rocket science or any new strategies. It was really just hard-learned lessons of family life that you only learn on the second or third baby, you know, and and, and, and just experience that, you know, you just you don't get other than just being in the trenches for that amount of time. So it was really lovely to be able to sort of gift that along to other people without them having to, you know, have the mistake and the pain that I would go through. Like someone could benefit from my hindsight. And I really, really enjoyed that. And then it sort of got to the point where we did have a fifth child and I was spending a significant amount of time on it. And it's like, well, maybe it needs to start to earn something for the time that I'm spending on it. And that's when I started to go down a path of looking at how can I turn this into a, I guess, like a small business for myself. And my aim, I guess, for that was family is really number one for me. So while I could have grown uh, the blog in itself into a, a much different format. To me, I still really wanted to only work part time and be able to have, I guess, my primary focus. Um, you know, have it fit in around the family. And mm. I've just, I do feel very privileged that I've had that opportunity. And that, um, you know, even now, like, you know, I think I was just when we just spoke prior to record. You know, I popped into the school last week to see Lee Hobbs visit. All those things are really easy for me to do because I work from home, yeah. and I do feel like super, super lucky to be able to do that. Yeah, it's amazing how flexible work life can be these days. It's so, and it doesn't need to be blogging. There's all sorts of different options, which we just didn't have in the eighties and nineties as we were entering the workforce for the first time. No, I know. And that's, and that's been one of the, I guess, amazing things that's happened from, I guess, some of the stuff that I've done online in terms of the courses and, and teaching people is that they've then taken some stuff that I've taught them and now they're starting up their own small business, not a blog by any stretch of the imagination, but using their skills, but, you know, transferring them online. And it's been brilliant to see the opportunities that that could create for, for other women. A hundred percent. And I've seen that, you know, just not even online businesses per se, but just, you know, people do your courses and then there's the beautiful Amy who's opened up a lovely infrared sauna and float tank place down in the Mornington Peninsula. There's, you know, just from doing a course, you think you're going to change your shampoo and your toothbrush and then you're like, oh my gosh, I can't get back to that kind of work life because I see the world differently now. And it's just, uh, it's just my own assistant, you know, left Nestle to, to come be my assistant. So, so many so. amazing things. Yeah, really cool. Um, and now... Okay, so I really, there's just so much for us to talk about here and I want to make sure we make time for it all. And while we could start in any manner of directions, the first place I'm going to start is a recurring theme in so many family people's lives, which is overwhelm. So, so many people feel overwhelmed by their lack of time, feel like they're chasing their tails. Many um, people in the low-tox community have one, two or three kids. Um, but then, you know, even if they don't have children or the children have left home, maybe it's looking after elderly parents that's become the time suck in their lives are trying to juggle. But there's juggle. There's a lot of juggle no matter what kind of situation you've got, no matter how many kids you've got, and that is indisputable. So you have five, as I said, and literally wrote the course on how to be well-planned. I want to know, though, I know you miss spreadsheet now, were you always naturally organised? No, and it's, it's so interesting because I think I was the peak of my disorganisation um, at my first years of uni mm -hmm. and I currently have my eldest child yeah, he's in his second year of uni and I think I went through last year where I had moved out of home to come to uni. He was in my home and while watching him be so disorganised, it was just like, I was like that. I can't believe that I've gone from there to there. And that's the thing which has actually been really humbling as a parent and, and just reminds me, you know, give him space to grow because you were just like that too. Mm. And you mature and you were able to get it together. And it, and it probably did take me a lot longer than some of my friends around me to get myself together and get organised. And um, so, you know, as a, as a teenager, you know, my mum would, you know, all the kids would be off to school and she'd be waking me up again, like, you've got to get up and go to school. I was just... Just, uh, uh, you know, just 
the complete sort of exactly what I'm living through with my boys now. It's like living in it. Um, and it never really bothered me terribly. And even sort of when I finished uni, I managed to get through uni and I got myself a good job. And it really didn't dawn on to me that there was a perhaps a better way I could be living my life until I met my husband. Right. And, and it was super interesting in that he is very organised, but not, not not overly so, but just to organised sort of just – and had his stuff together when I met him, just so much more than I did. And I can remember, like, we were both working in the city and we'd meet for lunch and I would always be rushing and he'd be waiting and he'd be – I'd always be late and then, you know, I'd be rushing off because then, you know, there wasn't internet banking or bill paying then and I always had, like, a bill that I needed to pay because it was sort of quite late. And he never had that. And I just met <laughs> him one day and I remember thinking – my gosh, your life is so much easier than mine because you just you've just got a little bit together. And it wasn't like he didn't have fun. Like he is very sporting, very active, had lots of commitments, was probably doing a lot more outside of work and partying than, than what I was, but seemed to be able to manage it all. And so I started a little bit taking in from him, nothing serious, but just a few few things like I started like you know putting money into a savings account which is a completely foreign concept to me until that point in time and stuff but it wasn't I'd say the real turning point for me in terms of organization was the first baby a few things happened because I went away back to work I was still pump I was pumping breast milk and stuff so he actually was the one who would say okay this is what we need to do every night when we get home from work he really led that process in okay so when you get in you put these here I'll wash these up you go feed the baby you do this and we started these little nighttime routines and that was really sort of under his guidance pretty much mm. um, and he's really great about that and we worked that together and then second child I was home from maternity leave and I can remember distinctly just the probably the biggest turning point was standing in front of the pantry and I had a baby on one hip who wasn't a great sleeper during the day and a, sort of a whingy toddler sort of almost clinging to the leg and it was like five o'clock and I was like what am I going to cook for dinner? It's like it's like dinner was a surprise. You know, dinner actually happens. <laughs> I think there are a whole bunch of people out there right now who went, um, yeah, that's me every night. <laughs> and that's what it was like. It was like, you know, and I came from corporate where I was managing multi-million dollar projects, yet I couldn't seem to get dinner on the table at a reasonable hour. I went, what's, what's going on? And then I thought, why wouldn't I take my skills that I used in the corporate to just to, sort some of these things because the way I sort of then looked at it was like dinner is a known. I know that I'm going to have to cook dinner every night. I don't know when this baby's going to sleep every day, but I do know if he sleeps at least for one half an hour in a day, I might be able to do some prep for that dinner. They'll make five o'clock a lot easier. So I started with menu planning. That was when I started getting really organized. And then it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy after that. It was like, Planning dinner times meant that then I could delegate the shopping list on the weekend to my husband. We had a great local market, like a walking distance. And so he would take um, the toddler away and the baby and I could get extra sleep on Saturday morning. But he'd have a shopping list that I'd prepared for him that he could then take. Mm. And I realised if I was organised as well, it didn't mean I didn't have to do everything. Because if I was organised enough to be able to delegate that shopping list, it was one less thing for me to do. And then, you know, and then the meal time became a bit easier. And then I felt like I wasn't just treading water anymore. I was a little bit... Almost not, I wouldn't say a full step ahead, but it might be like a toe ahead, you know, in terms of that. So, and what I worked out was there are so many known elements of family life. So the kids have to have their clothes clean. We need to eat. We need to shop. You know, you need to sort of go and, you know, do the washing, that sort of stuff. If I could plan those bits out, then I was in just such a better place to manage the chaos that family brings. You can't, I call it organising chaos because you can't really sort the chaos. Kids will get sick. Kids will mm, fight. That's so Andrew. true. And you can't, you can't control that because, you know, if you've ever tried to tell a toddler no, everyone knows that doesn't work, you know. Mm. So but what I can do is manage the other bits. So I'm then in a better place. So I'm not already frazzled and behind. So I have the time and the presence to be able to cope with that meltdown as opposed to thinking, but you can't have a meltdown now because we should have left five minutes ago. Um, so I found that, you know, especially as then, you know, it got older and kids needed to go to kinder and we had to leave the house on time. If I could have a routine that built in sort of just safety blankets of time, nothing got too stressful and it really actually made my life a whole lot easier. Mm. And I think my favourite thing that you said in there was if I was organised, it meant I didn't have to do everything. So yeah. that for me is really ha about how key setting up processes plans and routines are so that 
you can share the load. Because if you haven't defined what needs doing, it's very hard to tell someone what needs doing, even when they just say, can I help in any way? Like if you haven't even got it clear in your mind, it's impo- you just go, oh, no, don't worry about it, I'll do it. And that's what so many people, um, naturally mothers especially, uh, seem to be doing still. Yeah. Absolutely. And that sort of filters into our family. We have what we call, we call a family contribution schedule. And that basically the uni student doesn't, he because he does his own washing and he does pretty much lives this sort of independent lifestyle. But for the kids while they were still in primary school and secondary school, they need to contribute to the family. And so they have jobs that add up to the points of their years and they sort of choose which the jobs are but they're expected to contribute and my husband he contributes as well and so we all have things to do because there's nothing what what I think happens and sometimes sucks the joy out of family life is when the primary carer which in predominant cases is um, the mum is that the primary carer feels worn down because they're doing everything and then you start to build up resentment and it sucks the joy out of family life Mm. so some Oh, my God, there are so many ahas already. This is so good. So many people think that planning traps them into that, but, you know, planning actually allows you to delegate that. And, you know, my husband is great. He's quite, you know, um, but sometimes they see things quite differently. And I remember at certain points in our um, family life when things of, you know, new babies and new stages and I might have done be doing more work, things need to adjust. And that's the other thing too with planning. Planning is not static. It has to evolve and grow with the family. So as the kids get bigger and older, they can do more and harder tasks. So, you know, I don't clean the main family bathroom anymore because that's a job for the kids. You know, so that's brilliant. It frees up time. You do have to go through a progress or a process of a sort of bit of pain sometimes to get them into there sometimes it's you know teaching them and skilling them that whole teach a man to fish sort of analogy which i use quite a bit is that it does take more time in the initial front to actually invest the time to teach them to do things but But we're trying to raise people to be able to move into the world when they leave home so it's part of our jobs yeah, it is. It's about creating, you know, independent and resilient individuals that can contribute to society outside of themselves and realise that when you're part of a family or you're part of a share house for that matter, if they go on to move out, that you have to chip in. You've got to do stuff. Mm, I love it. Um, and I'm curious to know, as your family grew, did you find the need to adjust things? I like having babies and older kids in the mix and difference like there'd be quite a few different needs being met across five kids absolutely and it's what I find super interesting is that kids are actually really great teachers if you listen and observe and actually look at their behavior and say what is this behavior telling me and so because often I find in family life you're doing all the things day to day and then things what I always find is there might get moments of where the family harmony is it's disrupted. There's something, you know, there might be one kid that's constantly challenging or there might be some bickering or you may be having an individual issue with one child. And what I've worked out is it tends to mean that I've missed adjusting. I've missed something. And it sort of starts from babies. Like, you know, when babies sort of need to drop from two to three sleeps, you know, they start getting harder to settle and or they don't sleep for long enough. And you go, oh, you know what, they probably don't need so many to sleep. Mm. So now I need to change. Um, you know with teenagers it's sort of like um, you know for, you know when I had my first child hit sort of you know key adolescence I was probably holding on a little bit too much and I and I wasn't letting go enough and then once I sort of you know we, we locked heads a few times you know you sort of felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again with you know and not getting any different results it's like you know what I need to change me. I need to adjust what I'm doing. I need to adjust the routines that we had set together. They weren't working for him anymore. They were too restrictive for what he needed. And, you know, constantly, you know, listening to, watching what the kids are doing and watching their feedback, you know, they can't dictate everything because as a parent, I still, you know, some kids, we've well, got a night owl and he would love nothing more than be able to sit up and read till midnight. At 12 years of age, that's not appropriate. He has to turn that night light out and stop reading as much as he would love. But I did actually have to give him more time, you know, just recently because he was still lying in bed and wake for an hour. And for him, you know, he he just said to me, he goes, but I just lie in bed and wake for another hour anyway. So he went from sort of, you know, 8.30 now, he goes to, to sleep at sort of just after quarter past nine. So listening to the kids and not being too hung on your exact routines, knowing that routines are there to help you, but you need to have them 
um, adaptable and they need to be able to have uh, room to move and to change. And that each child personality is different as well because in five kids, what has worked for one of my child children has not worked for another because of just personality-wise. So even to that extent, you know, they might be the same age and you sort of want to go, okay, I want to do the same age sort of, you know, discipline or routine or restriction or boundary or whatever it is for you doesn't necessarily work for that child because they operate in a bit of a different framework. So you have to sort of constantly go, okay, read the kid, read read how we're interacting and read what is the impact of this overall on the whole family because sometimes, you know, if you're having a hard time with one child, it, that negativity can spread through the whole family. So you want to sort of nip that in the bud before it causes too much distress and too much disharmony for everyone. That's great advice. Um, now, something that people feel a little bit confused by, like the internal conflict, is this idea that um, planning makes us feel a bit boxed in. And I'm curious to know, because it's already sort of been touched on, but I think it'd be a really good thing to explore, how we can strike a balance between spontaneity and feeling well-planned. Yeah, no, I completely understand why people sort of think that, because mm. I think you're sort of looking to like, you know, there's those certain baby books where, you know, baby had to, you know, feed at six and then back down at seven and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the planning, the way that I think that works is that you, you sort of plan enough so you have a rhythm to the day because kids do cope really well with the flow and routine and know what's happening next. And planning is actually a tool that can allow a bit more spontaneity because it allows you to actually plan in some white space for a start that might be there. One of the things that I'm really big on is that when I plan out my days and the kids have planning out what activities they're going to do across the week, is that if you jam it in with too much stuff, there's just actually no time for spontaneity at all. Mm. But if you sort of take for us, you know, if you sort of take a look at, okay, it's the end of the year, what are we going to re-enroll in? What are we going to do? Who's doing what next year? And, and what stages, you know, like I'm going to have one start year seven next year. That's going to be a big, big, you know, big movement year for him. For another one going into year 12, that's a big movement year for him. What, you know, what do we need to cull and what do we need to prune? So there is space for that um, transition time. So planning actually then can, you know, really allow you to go, you know what, we actually don't have something on every single night of the week. So if we want to actually, if it's a beautiful night, we can actually, you know, you know, take off and go get something because we've actually, you know, and, you know, go get an ice cream after dinner or something like that because we've actually got that space and that time and we've allowed it. Often what happens is if you say yes to everything and you just go, yep, we can do this, we can do this, and you spontaneously say yes to lots of things without reviewing the whole picture, you know, you do get a bit stuck. But menu planning is a funny one because people often say, but what if I don't want to eat that meal at that particular night? It's like, well, you know what? You can always change plan but you can't change it if you don't have a plan. So I sort of think, you know, use it as a base. You factor in room within it and you don't make that plan too strict and then you've got some flexibility to still have spontaneity. You can always change a plan. I'm typing this out, but you can't if you don't have a plan. That's yeah. going straight to the pool room. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that goes for so many different aspects of life. You can always change it. And that's what I say to people. Don't be afraid to change the plan if it's not working. Plans are a tool to make life easier for families. And if it's not making life easier, then it's not the right plan. Fix it. But, you know, most of the time, though, you know, you, you know, with, you know morning routines, nighttime routines, those ends of the, those bookends of the day that can cause the most disharmony for families, get those right everything else can sort of fall into place. Mm, love it. And so a lot of people by now may be thinking, I'm so disorganised, I'm so um, far from feeling planned. How, what are some of the initial steps to starting to feel like you might want to get well planned? Um, so I often say to people, what's the... What's the fire in? Where's the fire that you have to keep spotted, putting out in your house? For some people, it's the mornings. For some people, it's the evenings. For some people, it might be dinner time. Um, there's only three areas that I get people to focus on. And in the normal order of things, if someone still can't quite work it out, I'd say tackle menu planning. Menu planning tackles a whole bunch of things which you can go into um, in terms of how it will help. Yeah. And then a nighttime routine is the next thing to look at because the secret to really good school mornings is to get stuff sorted the night before 
and then work on um, sorting out school morning routines. So that's sort of the order of things that I go. But for some people, they may have a particular, you know, it could be that the, the mornings are so disastrous at the moment that their dinner time's not a huge issue. So they may focus on, you know, let's see what we can do as a family the night before to make our mornings a lot better and work on nighttime routines. So pick out what's your biggest issue and I really recommend that people do one thing at a time because what often happens is people might, and I see this sometimes in um, parents, they go, you know, they're sick of it and, you know, kids aren't doing enough and, you know, they're all disorganised so they want, okay, we're going to make all of these changes all at once and everyone sort of goes, okay, for about three days and they all freak out with the overload and overwhelm and it all stops. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's a very natural instinct because you think, oh, let's just do it all at once, it's all going to be great. But change can be really quite hard, and especially if you're trying to implement change with kids, it takes a lot longer sometimes to get those changes in kids. So be kind to yourself and your kids and just target one area at a time, set that in, set up the good habits, and then everyone should start to feel from that win and even celebrate the win as a family. You know, if you get, you know, three mornings in a row in the house where you're all out of time and no one cried and no one shouted, you know, celebrate that night after dinner, you know, whichever way you like to celebrate. It could be watching a show together, something like that, because then people will feel like the kids need to get that acknowledgement too, that their work, the effort they've put into this routine has been worth it and mum's seen it and mum knows too. Yeah, I love it. it. It's really about getting people, the family across the line with a little bit of well-planned, you know, and it is discipline really at the end of the day, actually breeds freedom. Um, and that's a concept that I've built into my life in a few different areas over the last few years, being quite a naturally disorganised default person, um, as it sounds like you were growing up. Um, yeah. And the difference is I'm 42, so <laughs> still still working. I didn't yeah, have – my right. husband definitely wasn't the one who has guided me towards being organised. We're <laughs> quite similar, unfortunately, in that respect. But, you know, um, yeah, interesting. So you were sort of talking about, you know, needing to figure out like, you know, what fires to put out so that we feel motivated and we, we connect to the things that frustrate us. But obviously sometimes um, we have those frustrations and we try to move on and figure things out, but we don't do enough work to get our kids on board. And often that can be where the, the, um, the communication breakdown or the frustration continues is when our kids feel really oppositional towards all the changes. Um, and I'd be keen to see uh, whether you advise like maybe sitting down with each child and helping them all figure out why this is an important thing to do or whether you do that as a, a, a family unit. Yeah, we have these uh, things which we call family meetings at our place. And awesome. as dorky as they sound, they, um, they're they a really useful family tool because the way we run them is that everyone is an equal in the family. Like it doesn't, because you're the parent, doesn't mean you get more of a say or your vote's worth anything more. Um, and we really use them as problem solving tools mainly and to share, you know, family celebrations and to work out what you might like to do for holidays, that sort of stuff. But in terms of when we're trying to introduce change to the family, um, um, you know, we may bring it up as parents or kids may bring up that they have an issue. So, for example, you know, as I mentioned before, we all have all kids have jobs they want to do. And one time one of the one of the children, um, the 17 year old actually brought up recently was that he was finding it difficult with schoolwork and stuff during the week to do some of the smaller jobs that were more of a nightly basis. And he said he'd much rather just do a bigger job on the weekend and because, you know, we'd had some issues with me having to nag him to get things done. And he came to the meeting, and that's one of the things we say to the kids, if you've got a problem, you bring it to the meeting, you need to bring a solution as well. So his problem was he was sick of me nagging him during the week to, you know, go into the compost and do these other things. Um, and his solution was just give me a bigger job that I can just knock off in an hour on the weekend. He's still contributing, but it was going to work better for him. And that was, you know, a really good way for him to solve that problem and it's, you know, it's worked much better for us. That so, is so smart. And what I love about that is it's exactly what my very first boss in business taught me, which is do not come to a meeting with a problem without coming to a meeting with a solution as well. Because otherwise it really could, with five kids, it could just turn into a massive whinge fest. It's mm. like someone else and someone else does that, but they do this. You, you know, you're less likely to bring it up because if it's just something that you want to whine about, you've still got to find a solution. And then, there, um, you know, and, you know, if you're bringing it, 
you know, bringing something up. You know, other people sometimes, and you might say, look, I don't have a solution for this, but it, this is a real problem for me, and we've done that. Can some and you know, ask for help? Does somebody else have a solution? And it's amazing to see what some of the, even the younger kids will come up with. Like, and it's it really is just a really nice way to see them brainstorm stuff. And you know, and sometimes you know, my husband and I will say, you know what, this is the challenge for us at the moment. You know, mum's um, going to be travelling, um, dad's going to be doing this. We're actually going to, and I've said this before when you know, with work, you know, there's been a course launch, and I've had to travel for work. It's like what can we do over this next month to make sure things go a bit better? And the kids will actually go, okay, well, I could do this. Like my daughter go, well, I can cook the, you know, the, the lunchbox treat on the weekends. And then one of the other kids go, well, I might fold one more load of washing. And as opposed to enforcing it on them, because we're in problem-solving mode, they sort of all volunteer their efforts. And look, you know, some of them won't, but some of them will. And then that encourages the others to go, you know what, I could probably help out here too. And it does show, it makes us feel a bit more like we are a team and we can get through this together, even though we know that this period is going to be intense for our family. If we work together, we can get through it better. Mm, that is so inspiring. Um, I, I just feel like I implement everything you've told me so far. I mean, I do a few of these things, but I do tend to be that creative, big picture thinking personality that doesn't like to mess about with the details. It's just me. It's how I've always been. Um, but as I said earlier, my constant um, challenge to myself is to keep seeing that in discipline comes joy and in discipline comes the freedom to be spontaneous and have more time. So um, it's just all such valuable stuff. Okay, so let's come to the crux of what so many people's pain point is in the whole family um, being planned uh, scenario, which is the meal planning. And it seems like something everyone would absolutely love and want to do because it makes us feel so organized. But there's a few places we tend to come unstuck. And often I see people in our community going all gung ho, but then actually like taking one step forward, two steps back in, in the whole meal planning thing. Why does that happen? What do you find? Oh, look, I've been talking about menu planning for lots of years and I've sort of found that there's sort of two key reasons why menu planning fails for people. And it's not for lack of good intent and wanting to do it. Um, the first one is, is that they um, don't factor into account what happens on each day and their ability to be able to cook the meal that they plan. So, for example, they may plan that, you know, Monday they're going to have a roast, but yet Monday they're actually got to run a child to basketball and a child to soccer and they're not going to actually have that time at home. Mm. The other the other thing which tends to um, happen a lot, and and I know I, I can still fall into the trap occasionally when you're sort of flicking through magazines or you're on, online and you see beautiful recipes, you think, I'm going to cook that this week and I might cook that one on Thursday and that looks all great. But what happens is you end up getting to Thursday and you're pretty tired and you've just come in from work or after school activities and you've got a rather complex meal and your brain just goes, I'm just I just don't have the capacity to cook this meal. Let's order takeaway. <laughs> you know, you really just want to whip together that meal that you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, and because we do see so many amazing images on, you know, Instagram and social media and all this food, you can st- you can sort of start to think that the quick stir fry that you whip up is not fancy enough for your family. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, tacos are still a great meal. You can cut up lots of fresh veggies to get good veggies into your kids with a taco meal, which is simple and easy. And you can even get the kids helping you chopping up the veggies it's one of the jobs that we have in our family is that someone has to help me with an evening meal once a week um we just need to make sure especially when you like any time you want to start a habit start small and start simple you know I get kids um, to tell me they can choose a little template, which I can share with people, that you can put down what meals I would like to be incorporated we plan on a monthly basis but definitely start weekly when you want to get started and, you know, the kids will put down very simple things. You know, they, we've got a mexi baked dish that they like. They've got like a taco. They like a curry. None of them are overly complex. So often we're probably trying to cook more complex for ourselves than we are for the kids. So keep it simple and keep it really practical. Think about what do you have on each night and what's going to impact your ability to be able to cook it. Mm, love it. And can I just offer a little zhuzh up tip for the adults? I love to have fresh lemon, chili, 
and fresh herbs on hand. So even if your kids don't tend to love those add-ons, they can often be a quick sprinkle or a squeeze or a a plop that make it feel a bit more zhuzh and adult-like for you. Um, I completely agree. um, Yeah. I like to make a few of my own condiments. So I like like make my own kimchi. I make a nice fresh salsa, which is very similar to that. Yeah, beautiful. And it is amazing what those fresh ingredients can do in Mm. terms of a meal that might otherwise be fairly simple. Um, Yeah, it makes you feel like you're not just, you know, having the, the ordinary sort stuff yeah cool so i'm picturing life at the avery's house and i'm picturing five kids going through winter sports um and and how much is involved in that so are you basically saying that you know between the soccer practice that night this practice that night all the matches on the weekend and everything um you then think about the time it takes to cook different types of meals and then factor that into um your week I do. I yeah. have like what I call like a little matrix and mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's based on I will put plan out sort of Monday, if you imagine just a, a grid. It's got Monday to Sunday uh, across the top of it. Underneath, I put what activities each day are going to impact either me being able to serve a meal. There's one night a week where just it's impossible for all of us to, to sit down. So we need to have a meal that's going to be able to sit two servings. Um, there's other nights where I'm going to be in and out that I'm going to need a quick meal. So I literally will go through. So Monday, for, a, for, for example, at the moment is pretty much a stir fry. Tuesdays, I tend to have a slow cooker meal because the slow cooker will keep the meal warm for the first sitting and the second sitting. Um, you know, Wednesday, um, currently, uh, the, the footy is just finished, so we're m- moving into more of just a, a meal that I can um, have more time. So, um, you know, we might cook, um, you know, a fish-based meal, some salmon, that sort of stuff. Thursdays tends to be more of a, um, a bigger style meal so that I have a bit of leftover capacity going into the weekend when people are going to be home. Um, and then Friday I tend to, you know, make it more of a – we don't have a lot of takeaways because it's really just – very expensive for us but what we might do is we might make homemade hamburgers or homemade pizza that sort of thing and have that there saturdays we tend to have um i try to factor in a big tip for parents i think it really helps and even working people who want to take their lunch the meals that i plan on the weekends on the saturday and sunday i try to make sure that i will cook them in large enough quantities so that they can then be used for lunches during the week Mm. so for example we will have um tacos which is very popular with my kids on the weekend but you know for us i tend to cook about one and a half kilos worth of taco mints um and what i do for that that works for me to have some lunches and then what i'll actually often do with the kids i'll either take them as wraps or if i've got a bit of puff pastry i'll whack um, some of the leftover meat into puff pastry and make these little taco parcels and the kids will take those in their lunchbox so I've knocked off preparing something for the kids lunches in the same time that I've cooked a meal because I try not to spend I spend a fair bit of time in the kitchen and I like that but I want to make sure I'm really only spending the minimum amount of time to get like a maximum effort so then something on Sunday you know I might cook like a uh, a roast in the slow cooker and cook up a big sort of um, thing of you know beef or something so it has a lot of shredded beef left over that then I can then use for um, meals for myself for lunch and some of my husband he likes to take his work his uh, lunch to work every day so you could actually get really smart in you know making meals do more than one thing mm. and I'll also on the weekend you know if I'm cutting up the veggies for um, the taco so we'll have like you know cucumber and carrot and uh, capsicum that sort of thing what I'll do is I'll, while I'm peeling carrots I'll peel another three or four carrots chop up the veggie sticks, pop those in some glass, you know, recycled old glass jars, pop those in the fridge. They're there for snacks for the kids and they're also there prepared to cut up, ready to go in their lunch boxes as well. Yeah, amazing. Such a big fan of making your efforts work for you and like something as simple as so many people just cook enough for one meal, even something as basic as doubling up your pumpkin or your sweet potato being roasted do two trays and then make a frittata the next day you know things like that that just feel help you feel like you've made a start on things is often the biggest barrier when you feel like you haven't made a start and when dinner is this huge project that needs to be started from scratch every single day it's exhausting 
Yeah, completely agree. So if you've got that time on the weekend when you might have someone else around or you might allocate, you know, my daughter likes to be in the kitchen. It actually works out to be a really nice bonding time for us. So she will make something in the kitchen and we'll sit there and we'll talk. But you get a lot of stuff done and then you've got stuff that's going to prep you up for the weekend, sorry, for the week. So you chop up some veggies. You've then got your veggies chopped up just to chuck into the the slow cooker curry in the morning before you leave for work, Um, you know, and it just saves you so much time. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk troubleshoots. What happens yep. when <laughs> when the kids are sick or impromptu playdates happen? And what are it, some things that can kind of mean you have to change that meal plan? Oh, look, you know, it's it, it's, uh, it's back to that thing. You can always change it once you've got the plan. Yeah. You know, kids do get sick. Um, one thing I try to do is I try to have something in the, just one meal in the freezer at least going all the time. Um, in particular, I find just if you've got like a, a bolognese sauce or something that might go with um, multiple items, having something in the freezer that works um, that is, is is quick. And I also have a couple of like what are my go-tos that are, that are super quick that I can cook. And, you know, it's, there's nothing more I think lovely that when friends drop in that you go you know what would you like to stay for dinner I can you know I can make this you know make dinner spread there's nothing more I think welcoming than than being able to just invite people impromptu to have that with Mm. them and you know you know if you've got a stir fry just add a whole bunch more veggies in if you don't have enough meat you know put on some some rice or some quinoa or something and, and, and serve it with that so I try to I think if you have a really good base of staples in your pantry um you know like some tin tomatoes you can always throw together some sort of you know sauce that sort of stuff um and you know even having some frozen veggies that um you can use as you know a backup plan um, works really, really well. And at the end of the day, sometimes it just doesn't hurt if the kids have eggs for breakfast, you know, for dinner. Like, mm. you know, I I think that sometimes we can get ourselves really caught up on does every single meal have to be perfectly balanced, you know? And it's, yeah. it just doesn't. I Especially when, um, you know, when I guess I've sort of, because I've been blogging for such a long time, I have, you know, readers coming from all different points. And I sort of say to them, you know, look, you know, even past one day for a child like one day a kid can be off one day and not eat very much but what have they eaten over the last three days have a look at that have they had a good veggie intake across all of that one day is not going to you know ruin that child's diet for the rest of their life and I think sometimes <laughs> we can be a bit hard on ourselves yep, you know, there has yep. there has been times when I especially when I had little ones I'd get to like Friday and it'd be the end of the week and I think you know, fun Friday meal is just not going to happen. It's more like, um, is there some toast? Is there something they can have? Is there a smoothie? You know, my kids like smoothies. There's nothing wrong. I think we get really stuck in what meal belongs to, um, what food belongs to what meal group. Yes, you know, yes. You know, so my kids will eat all sorts of things. We don't have breakfast cereal in our house, but I always cook a lot of extra things. So my 12-year-old, for example, loves nothing more to have chop and an egg for breakfast in the morning if there's a chop left over. You know, just don't get so hung up on what is breakfast, dinner, and lunch. You know, what is good food in general is just a good way to go about it, I think. Yeah, I love it. And doing those sorts of thinking more malleably, more flexibly can really help the families that have got intolerances and allergies in the mix as well, yeah. right? Yeah. For sure. And, like, you know, for example, in the way our family runs, um, I choose not to eat grains, dairy, and um processed sugar really just because Mm. that makes me feel better but my family will still consume amounts of that the meals that I make at dinner time for example sometimes they will have a pasta but what I will do is that I've cooked sweet potato earlier in the week so I'll just have sweet potato with or zucchini noodles I'll probably actually both because I do a lot of running I need to have some starchier carbs with bolognese so we still have I'm very much a big believer that we have one family meal but what I will do is a few tweaks around the edges so you know being a little bit prepared means that I can just cook one meal we can all cope with it but it does cater for those tolerances and you know I may be that I cook um something to a certain point and then take out my meat and stuff and then I might put in um you know a bit of um you know cream or something for the kids if that makes it something that they like a little bit more delicious and work it like that yeah love it so good um okay so with the families you've worked with I'd love to hear around um you know, because you would have had plenty of community chats over the times that you've run the yeah. course. And um, I'd love to see around food wastage and budgeting because a lot of people want to move to more whole foods 
starting to buy uh, incorporate a bit more organics maybe uh, a bit less meat but ethical pasture raised and and make these great um, choices but often the the block is a financial one around budget um, or food wastage you know especially when it's big families for, like just from having spoken to you for an on almost an hour now um, it really feels like a huge part of the benefit of planning mitigates waste because we're well planned and there's you know food can dinner can become breakfast and and we make sure we get through everything I'd love to hear some success stories around that though people who felt really really overwhelmed in that area Oh, look, the, 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 the beautiful thing is, I think, when you work online, that people are very generous with their feedback when things work for them. Mm. And it, and it, I think the biggest impact I think people have had is the fact that um, it, the first thing they tend to work out is that um, dinner time becomes way more enjoyable for a start. They, yeah. they love that. But then they actually start to notice that, that it actually does make – they can afford to buy some of the food that they perhaps didn't previously because they are planned. They're not spending so much money on takeaway food. They're not actually buying their lunch anymore. Like, I've, you know, there's a gorgeous story of a woman who, you know, she started doing some meal planning, menu planning, and making sure there was always going to be enough food for her lunch. So she started taking her lunch in. But that whole thing actually kicked kick-started um then her exercising more and now she's preparing to run a marathon like it's just a really great story of how one little change echoed through and went through through that for her but she's actually found that she can afford to buy better food because she's not spending money on food elsewhere like when you are rushed and you go into the supermarket and you're thinking i've got to buy whatever it is for a meal tonight you're you don't you can't take advantage of the special so even though i do menu plan i menu plan again with flexibility if i menu plan and i go to the market and something's on special and i think that's really good value i'll swap it out so if i plan to have um you know uh, a sweet potato based dish but white potatoes cheaper i'll swap that out if i've planned that i'm going to um have a particular type of fish but the other one at the market is, is, is cheaper. I'll do that. And she's been able to buy a lot more fresh food, she said, because one of the things she found was she was finding she thought that buying processed food was cheaper. But it doesn't fill kids up as much either. So she mm-hmm. found that she was having to buy much, much more food to fill them up. Um, but if she actually gives them a bigger breakfast, they don't need as much stuff in their lunchbox for a start either which worked really well um and that even after school snacks if she can give them a solid after school snack um that's got some good fats and stuff in it that then it's not that constant graze 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 right at the dinner time so it was really about changing her mindset and that to see that you know once you know and and she tracked her budget and that's what i also encourage people to do because when they start menu planning it can be a little bit freaked out because if they have been um just shopping here and there to go and do a big shop you can be quite surprised about how much that can actually cost Mm. however you are saving on eating out you you actually um are going to be using all the food because you've planned it because often people don't factor in the stuff that they bought that they didn't use that went off and that sort of stuff um but so if you track your budget even for the first you know initial phase that the initial upfront if you need to get the pantry loaded and that sort of stuff it will be more expensive but it actually really plateaus out and you get such bigger benefit dollar wise for it yeah, I love it. And, you know, just coming back to that whole um, graze, graze, graze and the processed snacks, if you move from um, your regular mainstream uh, non-organic store-bought snacks that you would need to fill a child in between meals because they're never full um, and you made all of those snacks organic ones instead, well, guess what? The organic ones are still pretty vacuous. You know, puffed organic rice is not going to fill a child up anymore than non-organic puffed rice snacks are. And so So true. So I think that's part of it is really rethinking this as a a reinvestment. So we buy less, but we buy better quality and um, and we put our investment um, dollars and time into making super nutritious meals and the odd snack here and there, but not really focusing on snacks as being this you can't I mean snack deficiency was just something that didn't exist a hundred years ago <laughs> I know no one had snack deficiency no one had snacks you know maybe you had a little piece of cake in the afternoon because it was someone's birthday on a weekend but people weren't thinking of eating between meals and it was really the revolution of cereals after post um world war ii um where this this need for long life food really came about these huge long wars 
um, the the marketing of the the cereal companies really latched onto this as being a potential new way forward. And the most genius thing about the cereal business model is that those same companies then need to produce snacks to get you through the morning because half an hour later you're hungry. So you know, I, I'm so glad you said that because it is such an important thing for us to literally stop our kids from thinking of food every half hour they shouldn't be and that means they're not getting immune system time to regenerate digestive regeneration all these good things that happen when we don't snack quite so so much so yeah very valid and it will say to families if you know if you are doing the cereal thing because we only I only changed to not doing cereal probably about four years ago and with older kids it was really hard and I got a lot of flack from them. Ooh, in great! The initial, so how did you the, how did you do it? I just said I'm not buying it anymore. I just had to just put a line in the sand and say I won't buy it. I said I'll buy I'll buy quick oats so I can make porridge, and I will always have the freezer stocked with like frozen bananas. I cut up my own, do flash freezing and, you know, make sure that's stocked. Um, and in the initial thing, I said, I will cook you a hot breakfast till you're happy and cooking it on your own. And they just, you know, they – they were just so like, well, how is this going to work? But the funny thing is about it now is that when we like go and stay at other people's places, like we'll go and visit family or something and they might have cereal, it's really, really interesting to see they'll have that and then they'll look at me like an hour later and they'll go, I'm hungry now. Mm. Um, and they they actually don't ever really mention it now. It's not an issue. It was at the start and so, you know, don't – it's hard as it is, you know, there was times I thought, oh, my God, I'm just going to change this. But now, like, you know, the the even the 12-year-old and the 9-year-old uh, can happily cook themselves bacon and eggs, you know, and that's, you know, they'll they'll happily do that, um, scrambled eggs, whatever they want, you know, they will make themselves some porridge with quick oats. Um, there is – and make themselves smoothies as well. So there is there is actually easy options. I think people think it's hard. Mm, but, again, right. yeah. it's, it's just that little bit of – bit of planning and again you know especially the one who is a bit more of the you know my 12 year old you know the one that had the chop and the egg for breakfast he actually doesn't even really need recess he mm. doesn't but I still pack something for him but um you know just in case he gets hungry and something that you know some cut up fruit that we'll just have after school then um but he really won't have that because he and he's and it's because he's not hungry he doesn't get hungry until lunchtime yeah yeah, and my son's the same. And he's really hungry at mealtime. Don't get me wrong. He really puts it away. <laughs> but, um, but it's just that whole – and I remember when he was about two, three, mum, you know, can I eat something? So it, I, would, I would know for a fact, having seen the breakfast that he ate, that he did not need food. So I'd just move him on to a planned activity and then boom, you know, an hour would go past and we'd have done something and we'd be nearly lunchtime. So if you ask for food again, I'd say, it's nearly lunchtime, sweetie. And then that teaches them to really be present at a mealtime and eat and make sure yeah. they've eaten enough. Um, you know, we forget that we're train- we're, we're, we've got kids who are actually adults in training and we need to train them. Yeah, so true. Like, yeah, it's it's very good advice because you know they will. And what I find too um, is that they will, especially as they get older, um, they take note more of what you do than what you say. So I'm, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to change my diet. While the older ones um, won't necessarily have adopted everything I do, I know that I'm role modeling the best thing that I can for them. Mm. I won't force it upon them, but I'm certainly. And it is interesting now, especially because they're trying to, you know, achieve some sort of health and fitness aims they are leaning more towards where I am um but they wouldn't admit that of course um but it is nice to see (laughs) that you know sometimes you you know you have to with older kids you know younger ones you can you can direct them a lot more but when they get older you know role modeling that right behavior is one of the best things that I find parents can do oh I love it so good um, look, Nick, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff and I, I, I really feel like there's there's much more to be said. But to cap off today's chat with just a couple of things, like the most important couple of things that people could do from today to move closer to being well-planned with their meals, let's recap. What are your two absolute must-dos before you actually start then trying to implement the plan? Um, make sure when you do a plan that you involve the whole family. You put out a, a bare bones structure that's going to fit within it. So make sure you know what you've got on for the week, how it's going to impact your cooking, um, and 
tell the family what you're doing and get their input on what the meals are. And then make sure, um, you know, you share it around, like, you know, delegate the shopping to someone else in the family. And so the whole preparing of things, and I, I think one thing happens is that food preparation becomes often the one person's commitment in the family, mm. but, um, you know, broadening it out, that meal planning and providing that menu planning for everyone is actually the family's unit. So if they don't go and do the shopping like dad, they can all help come in and wash the veggies up and get them put in the fridge and help pack on the shelves. Everyone could have a role in preparing this. And by that way, you know, with roles become, you know, responsibilities and you get rights with that. So you get to choose what meal you want to put on the menu plan um, and you get to, you know, have a favourite meal, those sorts of things. So, you know, plan out what you're going to plan with the family, delegate tasks so people are involved, keep it super, super simple to start off with and take it, um, you know, week by week and then you'll find, you know, you'll start to get that positive feedback. And I always say to people, stick to it for at least four weeks because people tend to fall off after about two because Mm. it just seems too hard. But you know what? Be prepared that there will be a few failures. There will be a meal you won't cook, and that is so okay. It doesn't matter. You know, if you aimed for eight, you know, the 80-20 rule, if you got 80% of those meals you wanted to cook in the first week, that is a success and enjoy that and think that's great. You can always build and work on it from there. Don't go in thinking if you don't get if you don't nail seven out of seven, that hasn't been a success because you probably come from a much better base than where you were. And then but stick with it because Menu planning and um, and it really is just a habit for the home. I like to refer it to it's a habit for the home. Oh, I love and it's it. A ha- so it just takes time, and you know the whole have you know the habit forming myth that it takes twenty one days. Hard habits take a lot lot longer. Mm. So you know. Give it at least four weeks and I think you'll find you'll get some success. Fantastic. Nicole Avery, thank you so much for this juicy, juicy chat on not just general planning but specifically meal planning. I think it's going to be really, really useful to the community. So uh, I've loved having you on. I've got a ton of resources. You're going to share those free downloads that too. people can jump onto um, to get themselves started. And, uh, and we'll connect everybody to your wonderful work at Planning with Kids so that uh, people can continue their well-planned journeys. Thanks so much, Alex. I love chatting to you. Yay, thanks. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. 